The consideration is on the back page, and it's from Lewis Perry Chafer out of his book, Major Bible Themes. And if you don't have that book, that would be a great theology, um, a book on theology to get. Uh, major Bible Themes have been around for a long time, and it's a really good um, treatise on uh, the major uh, um, major theological uh, issues from Scripture. And he writes this, the source of eternal security. Taken as a whole, the, uh, the eternal security of the believer rests upon the n- uh, nature of salvation. It is a work of God, not a work of man. It rests on the power of the faithfulness of God and not on the strength or the faithfulness of man. If salvation were by works or if salvation were reward for faith as a good work, it is understandable how man's security might be in question because it rests instead upon grace and the promises and the works of God. The believer can be assured of his security. And that's a fact. And, you know, you just think about people who say that think that they can lose their security. And you're like, what? If you believe you can lose your salvation, which is what I meant to say, if you believe you can lose your salvation, you obviously think that there was something you did to participate in it. Because you can't lose it if you understand God is the one that did it. And there's no way that you can lose it. And that makes a huge difference when you understand it. Okay, that brings us to our message today. And so we're talking about love. And I was thinking about this as we were, I was studying this week. And, uh, you know, uh, I, I didn't finish watching The Wizard of Oz until I became an adult. You realize that? You like that, Adlin? So, I mean, you know why? We would go to church in the uh, BTU on Sunday evenings, and the Wizard of Oz would come on right at the time that we were supposed to go to church. And so, you know, it would only come on once. You couldn't, you couldn't access it at any other time, right? So I, only, <laughs> I never saw the end of it. I saw the beginning of it, and I never saw the end of it. But one of the parts that I remember was when they were going through the forest, and they said that there was lions and tigers and bears <laughs> in the wilderness. And they kept repeating that, lions and tigers and bears. Oh, my. <laughs> well, I don't know why I thought about that this week as I was <laughs> preparing the message. Well, I was thinking about these three words that uh, are really important to understanding the concepts we've been talking about concerning um, the, who you direct love toward. And that it's not the unbeliever. And that it's brethren, it's saints, and one another. Now, this is not a frightening thing like lions and tigers and bears. It actually is a beautiful thing. You know, brethren, saints, and one another. Oh, my. (laughs) That's kind of what you could do with that. And that you see that. And when you see these three terms, the way that you can really show someone that it's impossible that you can love, you are, you're told to love one another, I mean, to love the unsaved, is that you see this used in contrast to the unsaved. You see? It can't be that you are told to love the unsaved. Many of these terms are used in contrast to the unsaved. And then we have the fact that we will show you that the word love is used toward the brethren, toward the saints. And toward one another. And I don't care how many times you hear people say you're supposed to love everybody. It's an absolute lie. It is an absolute lie. Now, I know people will say, well, who is this guy to say that? 
Well, it doesn't really matter about me. I'm just pointing out to you what Scripture says. Don't try to look at me. Look at what Scripture says. And, and prove me wrong. Prove me wrong. I ask you to prove me wrong that the Scripture is not saying that. And you know what you're going to find? You're not going to find it. <clears throat> you won't find it anywhere in there because it's really what you see in Scripture as you, you pierce through the Scriptures, the New Testament Scriptures, is that the responsibility of the believer, and we'll continue to develop this, is to love one another. And that one another is other saints. And it's by this, it's by this love that we have toward another that the world sees something that is different. Right? We showed you that there's four, four different people talked about in that, that John 13 passage. By this thing, you, uh, all that, uh, that my new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you. Well, there's three right there, right? You have the Lord and how he loved them. And then you have the other two people loving one another, presumably believers. And then he goes to the next verse. By this thing, all men will know. Well, who are the all men? See? You're not directing love toward these all men. They're actually watching and they're seeing the love that you have toward each other. That's, by the way, as I told someone this week, it's not like it was in the Old Testament, that you love your neighbor as yourself, as we've talked about. A new standard, a new kind of love I give to you. And what is that? That you love one another, and what's the standard? Not you. As I, as Christ has loved, or as Christ loved the disciples, or in fact, you could say loved us, or as loving us. And by this thing, by this thing all men will know that you are the disciples of the Lord, and you'll see that. And so here we're going to see three words, brethren, one another, and saints. The unbeliever doesn't fit into any of these. Now, as we've talked about before, and some people have this idea that, well, if you don't, what do you mean we're not supposed to love the unsaved? So what do we do? Are we just supposed to treat them like dirt? Well, you know... There, is, there are other things you can do to people without loving them. You realize that, right? We talked about other things that we can do to unbelievers. You can do good to them, right? As you have opportunity, Galatians 6, do good to all men. You can show meekness toward all men. You can show long-suffering toward all men, right? Love is a different kind of category that is to be set apart to only those who are believers. And this is why it's imperative that when you are unsaved or you are saved and you are getting ready to get married, that you marry someone that's a believer. Amen. And so people will say, well, I, you know, I can love them. this. I think implicit in this idea of loving everyone is there is the lack of distinction between you and other and unbelievers. And, and, and people get into a lot of trouble because of this. And so we'll see it today. Saints, brethren, um, and one another. And we'll see that the love is directed in these categories. Father, we're grateful for the opportunity to be able to look at these things. And we, we're thankful that as believers that we have the opportunity to direct love toward each other. And as we do that, that the world can see something different about us. And they can see the kind of life that you have displayed in us 
uh, as a result of the, your son indwelling us, that this life can be seen out in activity. And as they see that, there is something that they see that they don't see in the world. And we're thankful that that could be uh, a witness to the world, the opportunity of being able to see that and the opportunity that it might open their eyes to be able to desire the opportunity to believe the facts of the gospel. And we're thankful, Father, for that. In your son's name we pray. Amen. And so we see the epistles of Peter identify the direction of the believers and their love as being toward the brethren, toward the brethren. Now, this word brethren, and we'll see it uh, as we uh, look throughout the course of Scripture, um, it's used, and I didn't, uh, yeah, it's First Peter 1, 22 is actually where we were, we're going to go. But uh, let's go there, and then we'll, we'll define the word. First Peter 1, 22. And so just as we're turning there, I want you to remember that these believers here in the book of Peter, and if you, if you, if you want to deal with scriptures that help you through times of suffering, uh, read First and Second Peter. Um, these believers uh, were suffering unlike anything that I think you and I probably will experience, at least I hope, <laughs> will experience in this lifetime. This was happening at the time that Nero was uh, persecuting the Christians in Rome. So Nero set Rome on fire and he blamed it on the Christians. See, this is why I, I, I think that <clears throat> these Christians who are fighting with the government, you, sometimes you're going to lose that battle because this is what was going on during the Roman Empire. So this has happened before. And so what did Nero do? He said, OK, I got you. He set Rome on fire and he blamed it on the Christians. And what did the people do? The people became angry and, and Christians suffered more persecution than they've ever suffered, I think, up to this point. Some people might say back during the Inquisitions, but I don't know. This was pretty bad here. And these believers ran from Rome. And what's ironic about it is Peter is writing them from Rome. He calls it Babylon. And most people believe that that's a was a catchphrase for Rome. And he's there in Rome, and that's what the irony is. Here's this guy who was scared off during uh, the, uh, the arrest of Christ by a little slave girl, and she says, you're one of them. He says, oh, no, not me. I'm not one of them. And now in the midst of the greatest persecution, he writes from Rome to these people that ran to tell them you shouldn't be amazed by what's going on. How about that about growth, right? And a guy who's had grown from where he, he was. And so he writes in, in 1 Peter 1, and notice in verse uh, 22, uh, he says this, Seeing that you have purified your souls by obedience to the truth. Um, uh, and here it's, uh, uh, well, let me read through it. You've loved, you've obeyed your souls, uh, you've purified your souls by obedience to the truth through the spirit unto unfeigned love. Um, and interesting enough, this unfeigned love is, uh, and you see this again in First Timothy, this unhypocritical love. And it's, there's a big history behind that word for uh, hypo hypocrite. And back in the days when the, the, um, uh, the plays and whatnot, drama started, is that, and, and they had this idea where you could go around and people would wear, they were in a masquerade, and they, they didn't really reveal who they really were, and so it was just a fake thing. And you could do this with love. Uh, it's interesting, in a lot of churches, you could see that with a lot of people. They, love you, brother. 
love you, love you, you know, and this kind of stuff, and it's just almost syrupy, right? It's just almost want to make you throw up. <laughs> now, I don't know people's motives behind it, but really, doing it is better than saying it. <clears throat> I mean, there's nothing wrong with saying it, particularly if you're doing it. I think my wife appreciates it if I'm doing it and then I say it. It really gives more legs to it. And so this unhypocritical uh, love, uh, that word unfeigned, it's unhypocritical love of the brethren. See that you love one another with a pure heart fervently. And so this word for brethren. And so the word is uh, adalphos and it's used in scripture in a literal sense of one who is a male sibling as well as in a spiritual sense of another believer. It is never used in a spiritual sense. And listen to what I'm saying here. It is never used in a spiritual sense of a relationship of a believer to an unbeliever. You never see the word brethren used of an unbeliever. Now, in order to, for you to say this, and some people are bordering on it, you'd have to make yourself a universalist. And a lot of people are A lot of people in churches are almost there and they don't realize what they're saying. And it's almost like an easy step for them to be into this universalism. You know what a universalist is? Is the fatherhood of God and the brotherhood of men. That we're all brothers and there's no distinction between the unsaved and you. Well, that's not biblical. It's not biblical. And so you see this use of, of brethren as it's used, it's use of siblings, <clears throat> it's use of those of a certain nationality. Uh, let's look at the nationality one. We're not going to go through all of these. I just want to put those there for your uh, use and you can look them up. And notice in Acts 7.25, we see it among um, Moses and uh, those in the nation of Israel. Um, and it's used and it's actually translated brethren as it looks back on Uh, what was going on with Moses. And it was interesting in verse 22, and Moses was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was mighty in words and in deeds. And when he was 40 years old, it came unto his heart to visit his brethren, the children of Israel, right? So you see that there's a distinction there between brethren and the brethren were who? It was those in the nation of Israel. So they were seen as brethren among each other. But there is not this universal brethren uh, that people want to make there. And so you could see that. And notice you see it in another verse here um, and down in 25. And and seeing one of them suffer wrong, he he defended him and avenged him that was oppressed and smote the Egyptian. For he supposed that his brethren would have understood how that God by his hand would deliver them. But they understood not. And so, so his brethren use. So does that mean that we're brethren to the Israelites? Again, I, I really think one thing that has happened that I think is very satanic is this, this, this hue and cry today in the culture that you're not supposed to make any distinctions about anything. Oh, you can't make any distinctions. Oh, don't judge anything. This hue and cry is leading to all kinds of tomfoolery. And it's really undermining the distinctiveness of of truth. 
And so notice, you see it used in the body of Christ. Notice in 1 Thessalonians 1.4. 1 Thessalonians 1.4. <clears throat> now, I just, you know, David said back in, uh, um, Pastor Dave said back in seminary that the Thessalonians, the book of the first and second Thessalonians are some of the greatest books in the Bible. And really, if you want to tell somebody to start reading who hasn't read before, don't direct them to the Gospel of John. Direct them here. And you know what? Having uh, read these books and seen what is in them, I concur. These are just wonderful books for a new believer to read. Just wonderful. <laughs> okay. You guys have my jargon down there. Okay. You're going to stay out of it, Leah? <laughs> They're wonderful books. Since we're talking about them. <laughs> All right. In First Thessalonians, in verse 1. Chapter 1, Paul and Savanius and Timotheus unto the churches of the, of the Thessalonians, which is in God the Father and in the Lord Jesus Christ, grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to God always for you, all, all, for you all, making mention of you in our prayers and our worship. Notice here, just thinking about how Dan's talking about communication, how Paul, when he's worshiping, he's not just thinking about himself. He's thinking about other saints and what's happening to them and what they're going through. You see this constantly in all of his epistles. Remembering without ceasing your work, and I would say from faith. See, work comes from faith. And notice your labor. And where does that labor come from love? Is that word labor? It's tireless working. On behalf of the saints, you will work yourself to the point of exhaustion. And you know, you do that when you love someone that it's not a thing. You don't even think about it. I mean, you could get tired of it, but you don't really you can get tired in it, but you don't get tired of doing it. And and you just do it. And love is what is propelling you to do that. And so if you love someone, you can work tirelessly for them. And yeah, your body's going to fill it, but you don't get tired of it. And so this labor from love and your patience from hope in the Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of God, our Father, knowing brethren. You see? You know, you know he's talking about believers. He can't be talking about unsaved. Now, if you say that unsaved and the saved are all constituted as brethren, what do you do with this word that he says here? Your election of God. Now, you're going to say all, the, all of the unsaved are elect? Is that what you're going to say? No. You see how this could get off the, tr- the train can get off the rails pretty fast if you don't let Scripture say what it says about this? And a lot of these people who are just crying aloud that you're supposed to love everyone, they have not looked at Scripture and what scripture says about this. And they're going to get themselves in a lot of trouble. And so your election from God. And so we can see here that brethren is talking about other believers. Now notice in 1 Corinthians 5 and verse 11. You see a distinction made between brethren who are believers and the unsaved. 1 Corinthians 5. 
Now, in this context, what's happening here is Paul is talking about the problem that was at Corinth and that you had this guy who was with his father's wife. Now, I don't think it was his mother, but even though it wasn't, it probably was his stepmother. But Paul says this was something that was so horrendous that even the Gentiles didn't do. And they were bragging about it. The Corinthians were. You know why? They didn't have a good understanding of what love was. They would say, oh, we're loving. Isn't that what you hear the unsaved people saying today? Well, we don't want to make any distinction that this person calls themselves a man and they're really a woman. But we just want to love them. You know, that's just really perverted. That's not love at all. It's really perversion. And so notice, he says here in verse 1, it's reported commonly that there is fornication among you, and such fornication as is not so much named among the Gentiles, that one should have his father's wife. And you're puffed up and have not rather mourned that he hath done this deed might be taken away from among you. For I verily as absent in body, but present in spirit, have judged already as though I were present concerning him that has done this deed. That in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you are gathered together in my spirit with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, to deliver such a one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. Just as a second here, as an aside. As you get to Corinthians, there's more judgment words talked about in 1 Corinthians than in a lot of places, these crino words. They're very interesting. A lot of them used in compound form and otherwise. But here's the picture of it. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. The first thing that God gives for us to do is to judge ourselves. You see that? He says, if you judge yourself, you won't be judged. Right? Now, just to say that I'm involved in some situation and, and I won't judge myself. And now that spills over into the church. And now the church is getting a bad reputation from this. Now, the church has to intervene and say, Kevin, you're out of line. You're out of line. And I say, well, you just mind your own business. You can't tell me what to do. What do they say? You're not the boss of me. (laughs) Which is what people would say today, right? Well, then the church is supposed to say, we're not the boss of you, but you need to judge yourself. And since you didn't do it, it's our responsibility to say you're out of line. Now, if you can't bring yourself into line, we're going to uh, put you out of the church until you can do so. And that's what Paul is telling these, these, the church to do here, to deliver such a one to Satan. Now, why does he say deliver him to Satan? Because when you put that person outside the church, you know what God is going to allow for Satan to do? Wreak havoc on this person that he couldn't have done before. And you know what that's designed to do? To child train that kid or that person, ah, maybe I might want to stop this. <laughs> right? And that's what it's designed to do. And we see that it worked with this guy because in the second epistle, you can see the guy, had, he, he had a change of mind. And that's what it's talking about. And so notice in verse 6, your glory is not good. Know ye not that the little leaven leavens, leavens a, lo, uh, a whole lump? Purge out the old leaven that you may have a new lump as you are unleavened. For even Christ our Passover is sacrificed for us. Now this brings up some really fascinating things. So if you are supposed to purge out a believer who is involved in sin, how is it that many people think that you could bring the unsaved people into the church and they're wholly involved in sin? Does this make any sense? This makes no sense whatsoever. And yet it's taught ad nauseum. 
So much so that there are many people within the sound of my voice that might think I'm the heretic. And it's the craziest thing I've ever heard. And so notice verse eight. Therefore, let us not keep feast, not with the old leaven, neither with the leaven of malice and of wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. I wrote to you in an epistle not to keep company with fornicators. Yet not all, not with the fornicators of this world, or with the covetous, or the extortioners, or with the idolaters. That you are, um, for you, you must need, or really, it would be necessary for you to go out of the world. Now, here's another thing: He's telling you, don't keep company with people who are doing this. Now, but we bring them into the church, and we say, oh, the church is a hospital; it's going to make them all better. Are you kidding? Are you kidding? But this is the logic that is out there in Christendom, and it's prevalent. Now, notice what he says here as you, you go down. He says, um, For what if I, uh, um, but now I have written to you not to keep company if a man is called what? A brother. You see that? He's making a distinction between a, a unsaved man and their behaviors and one who is named or characterized as a brother. He has a reputation for being a brother, a believer. You see how these, th these two things can't exist together? And Christendom is just merging them together and just making it all one. You want to know why the church is in the shape it's in today? It's because of this kind of stuff. Now, he says, if a man is called a brother and he be a fornicator or covetous or an idolater or a railer or a drunkard or an extortioner, which such a one, notice, well, what would you say if you say that if I said, you, you, I showed you in scripture, you're not supposed to love the unsaved. Well, here he's saying even with a brother who is acting this way, he says, don't even eat with him. <laughs> that's not nice. Well, that's not right. Isn't that what we say today? We have taken man's view of things and put them in the place of what God's view, where God's view should be. And we have falsely conceived and, and, and said that these things are love. That's not love. That is not love. And so notice verse 12, he says, what do I have to do? And this is a pivotal scripture here to judge them that are without. It's that without. We saw this earlier as we were going through some of this. We're talking about the unsaved. Those on the outside. And what's funny is the church is so busy that they won't judge the people on the inside of the church that they're so supposed to be judging. And all of their attention is, is directed toward the outside of the people the church, the unsaved people, which you're not supposed to be judging. It's just, it's twisted. <laughs> and so, what does he say? Do not you judge them that are within, but them that are without, God judges. God's going to deal with them. He's going to deal with them down the line. I keep thinking in my mind some of these people that I see that are just malignantly evil. I just think in my mind, oh boy. I think of Second Thessalonians. Right. I just can't get it out of my mind. Your day's coming. Your day's coming. I won't say it for Courtney's sake. I won't say that scripture. 
<laughs> oh, you did? All right. So everybody knows what it is. <laughs> so, <laughs> and so believers are urged to love the brethren in Scripture. And so you saw it there in First uh, Peter first twenty uh, one twenty two, and then you see it again. Notice and uh, he distinguishes these various kinds of attitudes that the believer should have of men, of which love is to be directed toward the fraternity of the, book, the Christian brethren. Look at First Peter two seventeen. First Peter two seventeen. Now notice what he says here. <clears throat> Uh, let me go back a little bit, get some context. He says, verse 11, dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims uh, to abstain from fleshly lust, which war against the soul. Here he gives in this context. Um, if you understand this verse, it will help you mentally in so many ways you, you, you just don't understand that you have this soul that is not saved. You're saved within the realm of your spirit. And what does the sin nature tend to do? It wars against the soul. Notice it doesn't war against your spirit because you would you would know that this is not right to do. It shoots straight for the emotions. And you see people who are involved in their sin nature and they just feel good. Right. Isn't that what Nike says? If it feels good, do it. Right. And so it's, it's the emotions. You get all emotional about it. And you notice a lot of the works of the flesh are nothing but pure emotion. And, and, once, and I see it on that um, picture 48 hours. I've watched it every, every now and then. And what strikes me about it is that you see these tough gangsters and they're so big and bad. And they go shoot somebody. Pop, pop, pow. And then they get them in the inter- interrogation room and they cry like little babies. And you say, what the heck? And it's just nothing but pu- it's just pure sin nature, you see. And so notice he says, verse 12, having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak evil among, uh, speak, uh, among you as evildoers, that they may by your good works, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. Submit yourself to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it be the king as supreme or governors or as unto them that are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and by the praise of them that do well. For so is the will of God that with well-doing you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men as free, not as using liberty for a cloak of maliciousness, but as servants of God. Now, here we are. Verse 17. Honor all men. Um, And that word uh, honor is to give full weight to all men. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the king. And so this, he's giving these descriptions of different uh, kinds of people in our relationship to them. And the brethren or the brotherhood here is uh, with regard to um, other believers. And it's and again, our relationship to others that are in the secular world. And that word honor is to give full weight. Um, uh, and so I did want to say this. Oh, honor the king is what I wanted to say. And the responsibility that the believer is to have to give full weight to those who are actually in authority. And, you know, it has nothing to do with how evil they are. It really has nothing to do with how how evil they are. And so because we're doing this as unto the Lord, and it really has no bearing what their status is or who they are. And no matter how despicable they are. 
I'm reminded in that same vein that uh, they asked the Oklahoma basketball coach when they were uh, getting, had a basketball game and people were throwing stuff on the court. The officials asked the, the coach to come on and get on the microphone and to stop the fans from throwing stuff on the court. And he got the microphone and says, please do not throw things on the court, no matter how bad the officiating is. <laughs> and that kind of reminds me of we are to, supposed to honor people who are in authority, no matter how bad, no matter how despicable they might be. And so notice, New Testament scripture records those in early church as directing love toward the saints. And so you have brethren and now you have saints. Saints is the word hagios, which is used to denote those set apart ones, set apart ones. And so saints are uh, notice this can't be used regarding unbelievers. Look at Romans 1, 7, and you see that saints are called. Now, why are we setting this up? Because what we're going to show you is that he says, love the saints. Well, if the saints are called, they're set apart ones. He can't be saying that these are unbelievers. Right. You won't you won't see that that said. Notice in Romans, the first chapter, notice in verse uh, seven. Paul is introducing and he's talking to the church at Rome. He says to all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called uh, really saints. And the word called there is the word kaleo. Really, is, I think it's looking at the fact of their being called um, into salvation. And uh, and as a result of that, they are called into being set apart ones. Um, Grace is to you and peace from God, our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. And so saints are set apart ones. We're called out from the world. We're seen as being distinct from the world. And so you're different from the unbeliever. The, the, you, know, you might have the unbelievers that are in your family, but you know that they're different from those who are the brethren that you share in Christ. You have a different kind of relationship with them that you would you would to believers. And, and I would say it and I can see it that I've been closer to people who are believers that are act that are grace believers than people in my own family. It's not about, you know, my kindred according to the flesh. It's who who are, are real believers, who, who are the ones that are in Christ who are my brethren in Christ? And that makes a huge difference. No, the spiritual gifts are for the perfecting of these saints. We won't look at that one. We're just uh, getting time is getting away from us. Works of the flesh are not to be named among the saints. Look at that in Ephesians, the fifth chapter in verse three. Ephesians chapter five and verse three. Now, you couldn't say this of an unsaved man, right? OK, so you go out there and tell an unsaved man. Don't let any of the works of the flesh be named among you or characterized among you. You know what that's like? It's like telling a dog not to bark or a cat not to meow. It's what they are. And at some point, they're going to do certain works of the flesh. Some works of the flesh they've learned not to be able to do, not to do because of the laws and, and conscience and such. But by and large, they're going to give themselves over to a lot of this. And so notice in first, uh, Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 3, but uh, fornication and, uh, well, let's start with verse one. Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children and walk in love as Christ has loved us and has given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet smelling savor. But fornication, now fornication is actually, if you, if you had a big circle, 
Fornication would be inclusive of all sexual sin, all sexual things. And so you would throw into their bestiality. You would throw into their homosexuality, uh, adultery. All of these things, these sexual things outside of marriage would be inclusive, inclusive of fornication. And uncleanliness and covetousness, let it not be once named among you as becometh saints or is fitting of saints. Saints are not supposed to act like this. But you notice he said in first Corinthians, don't judge the world. The unsaved world are going to do these things. God's going to deal with them. But not saints. The hearts of the saints will be established or should be will be established at the coming of the Lord. And so you see that this would be made uh, to be stable. And so notice again, only saints has the, have this expectation of the coming of the Lord. Saints, the articular use of it, noting the church, are seen as distinct from unbelievers. Look at First Corinthians six, if you would. Now, notice he's going to make a difference. He's going to say saints. And now he's going to make a delineation between saints and unbelievers. So if there's a delineation between saints and unbelievers, you're going to see that as we end this, that he's going to say love who? Saints. Saints. Dare any of you, verse one, have a matter against another and go to law before the unjust and not before the saints? Do you not know that the saints shall judge the world? And if the world shall be judged by you, are you unworthy to judge in the smallest matters? And so believers, you and I are going to sit there uh, together with uh, the son at the great white throne judgment. And we're going to sit in judgment of the world. We are. You're going to sit there in judgment of people that you probably know. And you're going to see them at the great white throne judgment. You are. But I think that because we're going to be changed, you're not going to have tissue up there at every turn saying, no, grandma's up there <laughs> dabbling your eyes on that. I think you're going to see it the way that God sees it. And you're going to say, God, you are so right in what you're doing. And the, today we don't want to sit. But notice the difference between the saints and the world and the distinction that is made. Now, if you would look also down in Philemon 1.5, you're going to see. Philemon was directing love not toward the world, as we saw last week, that we're not supposed to direct love toward the world, but toward the saints. <clears throat> now notice what Paul says to Philemon here. In, this is just a one chapter book, but this is there's a lot packed into this chapter. And so notice what he says here in verse four. <laughs> I thank my God making mention of you always in my see that when in my prayers. So here's Paul. He's sitting and he's worshiping God. And then he's thinking as he's worshiping God, he says, oh, Philemon, I'm so thankful for that. That guy, Father, look at what he's doing in among the saints. I am so thankful for him. And notice what he says here. I thank my God making mention of you in my worship Hearing, why was he making, uh, make, giving thanks? Hearing of your love and faith, which you have noticed toward the Lord Jesus and toward all the world. Is that what it said? Toward all the saints. Right? 
toward all the saints. And so you, you, and you, you see this guy, and I think that this guy had resources, and he was using those resources within the context of the believer's and um, you just, if you read there, it's just a wonderful thing there. Now notice, other New Testament scripture emphasizes reciprocal loving uh, of one believer to another. Then you get into this other thing. So you have the saints, you have the brethren, and now you have one another. Now notice one another is used throughout scripture to indicate a group of people who share a commonality. So you have to look to see who is the one another he's talking about, you see. Because it's used of people in different groupings. You have to look and see who is he talking about here that the one another is. So there's two words that are used to translate one another in the New Testament. You have the reflexive pronoun, and it's used in uh, Scripture to translate uh, the phrase one another on several occasions in the King James. And we won't, we won't deal with it. I'll just let you look that one up. We wanted to focus on the reciprocal pronoun, uh, alanon. And it's used to indicate ones who have a common purpose, goal, focus, or background. One who ha- ones who have a common purpose, goal, focus, or background. Now, let's look at one verse in Acts 26, and you'll see it used of Agrippa and Festus. In Acts 26 and verse 31. Now, in the context here, Paul is talking to, is making a defense before Agrippa. And notice what he, we pick it up in verse 19, and he says, We're upon, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but showed first unto them at Damascus and at Jerusalem and throughout all the coasts of Judea, and to them, uh, uh, then to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God and do works meet for repentance. For these causes, the Jews caught me in the temple and went about to kill me. Having therefore obtained help of God, I continue unto this day, witnessing to small and great, and saying none other things that those which the prophets and Moses did say should come, that Christ should suffer, and that he should be the first that should rise from the dead, and should show light unto the people and to the Gentiles. Verse 24, And as he thus spake for himself, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, thou art beside thyself. Well, really, it's a little bit more emphatic than that. He says, Paul, you are a you're a maniacal. You sound like a maniac. <laughs> this, is, this is what Festus was hearing. And Paul says, he says, much learning does make you mad. But he said, I am not mad, most noble Festus. But speak forth the words of truth and soberness. For the king knows of these things before whom I also speak freely. That, and I am per- persuaded that none of these things are hidden from him. For this thing did not, uh, was not done in a corner. King Agrippa, believeth thou the prophets? I know you believe. Then Agrippa says to Paul, almost thou persuaded me to be a Christian. Already in such short time do you think that you could persuade me to be a Christian? And Paul says, I would to God that not only thou, but also all that hear me this day were both almost altogether such as I am, except these bonds. And when he had spoken, the king arose up and the governor and Bernice, and they sat with them. 
And when they were gone outside, now notice the context of here. You have the king and you have the, uh, the governor, Festus and, and uh, Agrippa, and I don't know if Bernice was involved in this, but he's setting the context of who the one another is that he's going to mention. And they sat with them, and when they were gone aside, they talked between themselves, saying, This man does nothing worthy of death or bonds. Then said Agrippa unto Festus, This man might have been set at liberty if he had not appealed to Caesar. And you don't see the word one another as it's, it's translated that they said between themselves already towards one another. It's actually the word that it's used. And so this one another is talking about Festus and Agrippa. Maybe Bernice was included. But so you have in scripture, one another is used. You have to look and see who's in the context that he's talking about, right? And so you see uh, that using, I gave you a couple of other examples uh, there in scripture. Well, let's just use one more. Look at Romans 2.15 as an example. <clears throat> just want to show you that the context matters as to who this one another is referring to. Now here you, you use it with reference. It's used with reference to the Gentiles and their conscience. And so notice um, in verse 12, he says, For as many as have sinned are without law shall also perish without law. Notice again, you have a scripture that's telling you that not everybody was given the law. That the Gentiles were not given the law, the Mosaic law. As many as have sinned in the law shall be judged by the law. For not the hearers of the law are just before God, but the doers of the law shall be justified. For when the Gentiles, which have not the law, do by nature the things contained in the law, these having not the law are law unto themselves, which shows the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing them witness, and their uh, thoughts the meanwhile accusing and excusing, notice, one another. Who is he talking about? He's not talking about believers. He's talking about the Gentiles. And so the context is going to bear that out as to who is being talked about. And so the focus of the, uh, whom the pronoun one another in uh, John 13 is mentioned is something different. And we want to jump down to there. Um, look at John chapter 13 and verse 34. And I jumped a long ways. So who, those who's trying to follow my jumping it's on C, <laughs> on page four <laughs> of your outline. And so notice here you have this context. And so you have to look in the context of who he's talking about here. And uh, in the upper room, you had disciples. And remember, we talked about this, that Judas has left the room. Um, and so he's no longer in the room. So the only people, the only ones that are here in the room are, are believers. There is no unsaved people here. And it would have been significant if Judas had been in the room, but he's not. And so notice here, he says, um, verse 31, therefore, when he was going out, Jesus said, now is the son of man glorified and God is glorified in him. If God be glorified in him, God shall also glorify him in himself and shall straightway glorify him. Little children, yet a little while I am with you and you shall seek me. And as I said unto the Jews, whether I go, you cannot come. So now I say to you, a new commandment, and we've talked about this, and you have the, the word kainos, which is a new kind of commandment I give to you. And what is that? That you love one another as I have loved you. Love you 
also love one another. Now, we'll continue to develop in the future what this word love is, but the word one another here is our reciprocal pronoun, alalon, and it's the you love, and so there's a reciprocation in it. I love you, and I don't want to sound like Barney, <laughs> but you love me. <laughs> it's that there's a reciprocation in which, in which there, is this, there is this love being bandied back and forth. And as I was saying that, I thought that's what it sounded like. There's this love that's being bandied back and forth. That the way that it's supposed to happen when you reciprocate something is there's the love that you give, there's the love I give, and it's in the process of that, of that love that it's being given back and forth that the world is able to see something as they see it in believers. You know, and they say, wow. Man, that's something that you don't see. See, what's interesting is we've lowered ourselves down to the level of the unbeliever, and we're trying to reach them on the level that they are on. They see that all the time. There's nothing uncharacteristic about that. That's why they see the church as just another social agency, because that's what they're used to. This is what social agencies do, right? (coughs) And so when, you, when they see that love that is being reciprocated between believers, it really it opens the opportunity for them to see God's kind of life in a way that they had never seen it before. And I don't think that the unsafe world is seeing it very much, sadly, because I think the church is failing at this. I think they hardly see it. I really do. And so, notice there are four things that believers participate in with one another and other believers. And so we're urged to submit ourselves to one another. Notice, if you would, in Ephesians 5.21, and this is just a small list here, Ephesians 5.21. Now, I, I don't think that this happens. Either love can happen, and we'll see it in the future, or any of these things that we're urged to do as believers These are only talking to people who are spiritual. If you're carnal, you're not going to do this. I don't even think you're, if you're carnal, I don't think you understand it. When we're carnal, we are acting just like an unsaved person. And you're you're not going to have the capability of manifesting God's kind of life. And so notice, he says here in verse 5, notice it's after the fact of being filled by the Spirit. Notice in verse 18, be not already, stop being drunk with wine where is in excess, but be filled by the Spirit. And notice all of these, these, um, these um, participles are coming off of being filled. Speaking, verse 19, to yourselves in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, making melody in your heart to the Lord. And so notice, They've changed what worship is today, and they try to say, oh, this is worship, praise and worship. Notice what he's saying here, that it's an inward thing. It's not that you have to go around singing praise and worship songs. That's not it. It's something that's inward. <clears throat> giving thanks always, see that? Giving, giving thanks always unto all, uh, um, for all things unto God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And notice, here we are, verse 21, another sign of being filled by the Spirit, submitting. And that word submitting, and it's a, it's a, you're submitting yourselves to one another in the fear of God. 
And so you can't make someone submit. It comes as the Holy Spirit provides the opportunity for them to do so. And so say, for example, as a pastor teacher, you come to me and say, well, pastor, God told me to do this. And I say to you, God ain't told you nothing. I'm the pastor around here. Get out of here. Well, you do have pastors who will say that. Right. Now, I will say my mother told me about my grandfather who used to be a pastor and he used to go to church with a 38, I think she said, <laughs> back in the day. And it was the wild, wild west. And he was the uno numero the person in charge. And that's kind of how they conducted things. That's not how you do that. Do you know I can only submit to you and you submit to me when you're filled by the Spirit? See that sign back there? Grace makes all service to God voluntary. It comes as a result of believers being filled by the Spirit. And when we're filled by the Spirit, we'll submit to each other for the use of our spiritual gifts. Maybe you have the gift of exhortation and you come to me and say, Hey, Pastor Kevin, I think that this is what we ought to do. And if I'm spiritual, I will yield to how the Holy Spirit is using you in your gift. And vice versa. Vice versa. But you know you can't make anybody do that. But notice, submitting yourselves to one another. There's a reciprocation there. In which the believer, I submit to you, you're submitting to me. And it, and it makes things work. And so you see, uh, the believers are urged to serve one another. And so notice in Galatians, the fifth chapter in verse 13. In uh, Galatians chapter five, now notice in in verse uh, 13, Paul writes, for brethren, you have been called unto liberty. Only use not your liberty for an occasion for the flesh. And you see this with people, right? There are people who say, I'm free, man. You know, we're under grace. I'm free to do whatever I want to. And what do they do? They use their freedom in Christ. That word for occasion is a jumping off place for the sin nature. And so they're misusing their freedom. And what is to be done in contrast to that? But serve, but by, by means of love, serve one another. And that really is serve. This is, you know, slavery and that thing. That's bad news today, right? Nobody wants to say, I'm a, I'm a slave. I'm not a slave. But do you know as a believer, this word for slave is a voluntary servitude in which you voluntarily put yourself at the disposal of another person to serve them. And you're not going to own it. You can't tell anybody, serve me. That doesn't even sound right, right? (laughs) When you're spiritual, do you know you don't have to say that? Believers will serve each other. That's the beauty about it. When you see voluntary service, it's just a beautiful thing to see. Not that someone's constraining you to do anything, right? 
It's happening as a result of you being filled by the Spirit and the Holy Spirit has opened you to be able to do that. And so the other thing is, is yet you see that believers are supposed to support one another. Look at Romans, the 15th chapter here. Romans chapter 15. Paul gives some uh, final admonitions here uh, to the church uh, at Rome. And notice what he says here in the 15th chapter. And I think it's in verse 7. He says, um, I think, did I get it right? Uh, Yeah. Okay, yeah. Wherefore, verse 7, receive ye one another, um, is really proslambano, uh, as I, uh, um, the form of welcome, uh, one another as Christ also received us to the glory of God. I put support access, access, word to receive one another. And so um, this word for, yeah, I did put it in your outline. Receiving is taking one as a companion or to grant one access to one's heart to take into friendship. You know, and it's, I mean, when we're spiritual, we see that. But when we're carnal, I mean, we're, we're keeping people at arm's length, right? There's not this welcoming. I mean, and you, and you, you could see it in the society we live in. People are so skeptical about everything. It shouldn't be that way about saints, right? The opportunity that we are able to welcome one in and to receive them. The ideal, again, I give you that definition to grant one access to one's heart. And so I, that doesn't always happen even among unsaved. And so this ideal receive one another. And notice the support of other believers is seen in the exercising of care and being preoccupied with uh, the care of other saints. And you can see it in the believers pursuing the edification of each other. And you can see it in those things. And the last thing that we see is the new commandment urges believers, as we we have seen, to love one another. And we'll pick up there next week and we'll talk about this agape love a little bit more. How does that look? I mean, we've talked about love. How do, what does agape love look like when you see it? And how do you know what it looks like? What, what is it, how does it manifest itself in the body? And we'll begin to look at that. Uh, over the next course of the next few weeks. Father, we're grateful for the opportunity of being able to look at these things and grateful to ask believers that we can, we have this love that we can direct toward the brethren who are also called, called the saints and also we see as one another and that we have the ability to do this as we're spiritual and the Holy Spirit produces that kind of love uh, for it to be used and directed in the right way. We're thankful, Father, that as saints, that as we do this, that we're able to um, show the world a kind of life that they cannot see, that's not available in the open market, that can only be seen out when believers are spiritual and directing love toward each other. And we're thankful, Father, for that potential. In your son's name we pray. Amen.